Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Glad that you're here. My name is Pastor Justin. And if you wanted the cute, comfy sermon, you should have come to first because this one's different. We're going places. You cannot have a testimony like that of Jude sitting up here, talk like that, and then us just proceed with business as usual. That's not what it's about. I believe you're here on purpose and the timing of God is being enacted in your life today. And he is doing everything on his end to lay out in front of you what it is that you need to receive today. But it's up to you to digest. It's up to you to latch on to what it is that he is placing right here in front of you. So we're going in today. We're going in because this is not, this is not a casual moment. I know there are battles going on all around not just in our pastor's family, in yours, in mine. And we're gonna come here and act polite and act like everything is just according to agenda. No, we need an intervention from God himself. We need his word, we need his hope, we need his strength. And I believe today it is absolutely here for you. He won't fail. He won't fail in your story. And today I have the honor of continuing this series on the book of Joseph. Pastor Jeff began it last week. If you didn't get the chance to hear it, please go back and listen to it. But we're talking about dreams. It's a beautiful idea. It's a lovely idea. But sometimes it gets gritty and visceral and ugly. And that's the part of the story I'm going to share with you today. I believe you're going to be built up. I believe you're going to be encouraged. And I believe there's truly a word for you in this message today. Join me in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for what it is you're about to do in this room. I sense it. I feel with such purpose that you have something specifically designed for 1130 service today. God, I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat, anticipatory about what you have for us. So speak to us, God. Minister to us. Have your way. We are available to you. Those of us in the room, those of us online, we are ready for what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're talking about Joseph. I need to breathe for a second. I'm just so like, this is, we're living in a battle. Like there's nothing casual about what it is that you and I are living in today. There's a battle for your soul. There's a battle for your faith. There's a battle for your attention. There's a battle for your energy. And I'm just so aware today that as we are in this space, God is trying to stoke a flame in us. And when we're looking at Joseph, we see a character who goes through Truly, such an incredible arc of a story. Pastor Jeff last week really laid out the the glorious conclusion of where this is going. And then today, I'm bringing us back to kind of the origin of where all of this began. It starts in a very, very broken family. And it starts with very humble beginnings. And it's Genesis chapter 37. I'm not going to go through everything today because I do believe that there's some specific points we want to focus on. But just to give you some backstory, Jacob, who is a whole different story that we could spend an entire other series on. But anyway, just trust me, he's a pretty, pretty flawed guy. (laughs) And uh, he ends up having his wives and his concubines, awkward situation, and a bunch of kids with all of them. I was going to make a joke and I'm not. So uh, 
He has a bunch of kids, and all of these 11 and 12 brothers are coexisting, and they all have different moms. And dad favors one of the kids. Now, this isn't just about loving Joseph more. It isn't just about liking Joseph more, although we're talking about the emotional side. But in this culture, we're also talking about birthright. So we're talking money. And if dad favors one of the kids, you know what that means for the others? That it's costing them something. It's not fair. It's not distributed the way that it should be. And that's the basic situation here. Jacob, it says in Genesis chapter 37, uh, in verse 3, it says, Jacob, also named Israel, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. What? <laughs> Parents? <laughs> no, one, no one's going to attest to it. <laughs> he loved one son more than the others. And it's not just that he did, but then he gave this beautiful, colorful robe to tell everybody, I like him more than the others. This is messed up. This is flawed. It, in fact, it tells us why Jacob loved Joseph more, because he'd been born to him in his old age. Jacob knew having Joseph at that age made him look good. Can I talk about ego or can I talk about it? He was a parent who found his own validation in his child's existence and in his child's life and in his child's journey. And parents, if we're placing the weight of our validation on our children's shoulders, we're asking for dysfunction in our family. Your job is to point them toward their identity, not to use them to bolster up yours. And, and Jacob feels like, I'm sorry, I just have to say it. It's just, it is what it is. He feels like he has prowess both sexually and, and in his power as a man to be able to have a son that old in his life. It makes him more valid in their culture. And so he boasts about Joseph, but by putting a coat on Joseph, you know what he's actually doing? Look at me. <laughs> he makes Joseph look good because Joseph makes him look good. And what does this do for the other 11 brothers? Well, how would you feel? Yeah, angry, jealous, upset. Sometimes we villainize these boys, and I'm certainly not giving them a pass on some of the things they're about to do because it's very bad. But what do we expect in a broken situation? It'd be easy to just isolate Joseph from the story and talk about one man with a dream, but he's not. He's not one man with a dream. He's one of many men in a family, and it's broken, and it's messed up, and it's dysfunctional. And when we come from layers of relational trauma and family trauma and emotional issues, it's really easy to just look at, like, one part of our story, but you got to own where you come from. As Pastor Jeff was saying, if we're going to get where we're going, we have to be honest about where we are, recognizing that there are cycles and patterns that exist in our life. And this happened long before Joseph or his brothers asked for it. This was Jacob's issues. Jacob was a manipulator and a seducer and a supplanter. And now he's got all these women and all these kids. And you expect it to be a comfy situation. No, it's broken and it's flawed. And so this robe represents brokenness but also favor on Joseph. And verse 4, when his brothers saw that his father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and couldn't speak a kind word to him. It was just publicly known. Gosh, I only have one kid, so thankfully I haven't had to navigate all of this. But I observe my friends with multiple kids. It's a unique journey. I'm not saying you don't love all your kids. You love all your kids, but you do like some of them more. It's, someone just testified. Someone just said, absolutely. 
You know how you can tell the liking situation? One of them falls and you're like, oh, baby, baby, are you okay? The other one falls and you're like, get up. <laughs> Not again. <laughs> I mean, we are humans, and so there's always like all kinds of emotions that surge through us. We're not God the Father, okay? But it's just to a dysfunctional degree in Jacob's story. So much so that everyone knew it. That Joseph was loved and these other brothers weren't. So it generates all of this resentment that they can't even say a kind word to him. And that's the backstory for the dream. So now you know like the, the setting. And then in this setting, Joseph has a dream. Can I just pause right there? That God chose to insert a dream into a dysfunctional situation. You would think that the dream would come to someone whose backstory and circumstance is well equipped for the dream. But God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wisdom of the world. God will put unlikely people in unlikely places with unlikely dreams so that when it's all said and done, it can only be said this must have come from God. He chose a dysfunctional, broken situation in which to place a dream. And then, Joseph has this dream. Let me tell you what, it, what he says here. In Genesis 37, verse 5, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field, and suddenly my sheaf of grain stood upright while yours bowed down to it. Isn't that awesome, brothers? <laughs> what did he expect to happen? His brother said to him, oh, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he said. You know what's interesting? They interpreted his dream correctly. They didn't get it wrong. They knew exactly what it meant. They knew the dream meant that he would rule and reign over them. And oftentimes, the people in our lives who generate the most resentment toward us it's not that they're completely mischaracterizing things. It's that they don't like it. They knew what they could see. They could see the robe and they could hear the dream and they resented what was happening because of what was going on in their hearts. Again, what else do you expect these boys to do? Time after time after time. Think of every family dinner. First of all, 12 dudes at dinner, like, we need more, please. <laughs> like, it's a lot of food, but just every time. Can you imagine the, the father's speeches of, like, I just want to take a second and talk about Joseph tonight. <laughs> Joseph again, Joseph again. And then every time that coat comes strolling through, it's just building resentment. History would tell us this is a long sleeve coat that goes all the way down to the ground, which means you don't work in it. Joseph didn't work. He just walked. You know what the other brothers are doing? And we see in a second, they're working and doing and sweating. And then Joseph comes through wearing his father's favor. <laughs> There's a lot of resentment there. And I think we have to recognize that in broken situations and in broken circumstances, if we take someone else's resentment and personalize it and think, it's me, what's wrong with me? We're missing something. If people are having this vitriolic response, you need to release them and recognize that probably has to do with you and your journey because it's not about me and my journey. <laughs> like you're, you're clearly, you're carrying something and going through something. I'm gonna pray for you, I'm gonna bless you, but I can't, I can't control that response. You need to go to your covering, get under spiritual covering, get to the authority of scripture, make sure you search your heart, but you can be doing everything right and people can still be angry. And sometimes we get so addicted to people pleasing that we can't handle when people don't like us. Well, guess what? 
the best way to get everyone to like you is to completely sacrifice any vision or dream in your life. Everyone will love you when you settle. But the moment you say, I've got a vision for more, a dream for more, you will experience resistance, resentment, and friction because you rising up in your dream exposes the mediocrity around you. When you start to say, there can be more, what you're acknowledging is this ain't it. And that upsets the situation around us. And so that's what's happening with Joseph. And one thing I think as dreamers that we don't realize is, yes, the dream will bless you, but the dream will also cost you. Silence. <laughs> Everyone wants the dream. No one checks the price tag. And I think this is a time to count the cost of what it means to say yes to the dream. Joseph got this snapshot, this moment in his dream, and he didn't realize the journey that leads him there. And a dear friend of our house, one of my favorite preachers, Don Cherie Wilkerson, once preached a word that I held on to dearly, that living the dream looks different than dreaming the dream. Because when you dream the dream, it's all like floaty and no gravity, and everything's brightly colored, and you never sweat, and it's not difficult. But living the dream, whoo! It's difficult, and you have to, have to put one foot in front of the other. You know, you dreamed and prayed for the baby, and then God gave the baby, and you ain't slept in two years. <laughs> you dreamed and prayed for the marriage, and it was all wonderful on Instagram, but one year in, you're navigating some of the most difficult conflicts in your life, and you feel like, this isn't my dream. I need to go find another dream. No, what if it is your dream, but living the dream looks different than dreaming the dream? What if this is a process of refinement? <laughs> living the dream is taking it and translating it into reality. And if we only want everything that always feels good, you're not trying to live the dream, you're trying to live in fantasy. Living the dream is a process, and it takes that beautiful idea and translates it down into reality, and there's blood and sweat and tears and effort, and that's what's happening in Joseph's life. It's already enacting. The dream is being translated into real life. I know this is lofty. Trust me, we're going to get down to some specifics in a second. So... Verse 9, then he had another dream, and he told his brothers, listen, I had another dream. Joseph, read the room, bro. <laughs> not, not another one. <laughs> if they hated you the first time, you don't think they're going to need to hear a second time. And this time, he says, this dream, I saw 11 stars and the sun and the moon all bowing to me. I just want to ask you, what do you think, I know there's, you wouldn't claim to be a dream interpreter. Anyone have any guesses? It's my 11 brothers and my mom and dad. And everyone's bowing. Can you imagine? My good friend, Pastor Anthony and Pastor Marty, they have three daughters. Can you imagine Ella coming out and saying, guys, I had a dream where Mama and Papa and Sophie, and you were all bowing to me. Time out right now. I think we lose part of this story if we forget the context. That Joseph is speaking these dreams in a very dysfunctional situation. And your dream and your dysfunction will always be in competition. And one will overpower the other. 
and it's whichever one you feed. Feed the dream, fight for the dream, never surrender the dream, fuel the dream, and it is going to lead you through your dysfunction. Now you're gonna have to probably process some things and work through some things and admit some things, but your dream will overpower your dysfunction. Or if you feed the dysfunction, it's gonna cause you to doubt, question, and eventually surrender the dream. Because imagine Joseph said, every time I talk about my dreams, my brothers get angry. Mom and dad, they're not even like supportive of it. Because in verse 10, he told his father this, and his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream? You're saying that we will bow to you too? This shows that Jacob's love for Joseph was, Joseph was based on his ego. Because if he was really the selfless, loving father, he would say, wow, son, what a dream. But no, the minute that Joseph's existence starts to challenge Jacob's ego, he rebukes him. He says, absolutely not. And the Bible says later he starts thinking about it, but his knee-jerk reaction is proud. Imagine if Joseph said, well, mom didn't see it, dad didn't see it, my brothers didn't see it, my friends don't see it. Nobody sees the dream, maybe it's not real. No one else is supposed to see your dream until you live it. And if we think other people are supposed to see our dreams for us, we are abdicating personal responsibility. That's your dream. Your dream is a vehicle to fulfill God's purpose in the earth. Because if we're not careful, the dream can become an idol. And it's like, I just want to be this and do that and have this impact. No, no, no. It's a tool a vehicle to fulfill God's purpose in the earth. And so if God gave Amanda a dream and he gave Justin a dream and he gave V a dream, I'm, I can't expect anyone else to see or recognize my dream. I have to be responsible and faithful to cultivate what he's called me. But what if my whole dream is just one puzzle piece in this grand scheme and this grand design that God has created? And when I'm in my place and Amanda's in her place and V's in her place and we're all in our place fulfilling our dream, what if there is a vision that God has for his purpose that far exceeds our dreams? That's why it says he's able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all we could ever ask or think or dream and imagine. That your biggest dream is one puzzle piece in God's grand design. And we have to take responsibility for what God's told you, even if other people don't see it. Don't get discouraged when people don't see your dream. That's not their job. That's not what they're supposed to do. God showed you his word is enough. See, that's the problem. We want other people. We need a second opinion. But if God said it, it's enough. It doesn't matter if no one else sees it. And then going on here, then it gets crazy. His brothers get so jealous of him, and I'm going to skip down quite a few verses here. They end up going out to tend to Jacob's flocks and their that's quite a messy job, you can imagine. They're out there tending to the flocks, and Jacob says, go check on them to Joseph. And that's a weird way to utilize one of your sons against the others. Go check on them and tell me how they're doing. Jo this is clear through Scripture that Joseph did the, this a lot. He would go and give reports on his brothers and how they were performing. And remember, he's wearing this long coat that, that he doesn't work in. He just walks in, and everyone else is working. And I see such a dichotomy. I see myself there, too, to be honest. I relate a lot to those 11 brothers. Striving. Hustling, sweating, trying, working. And there is something to be said about the power of approval. And this family, there's two sides to this coin. Because approval 
is given to Joseph out of Jacob's own pride, and it's also withheld from the other brothers out of Jacob's own pride. So a broken situation leads to brokenness, and these guys are in what I would call an approval addiction, which is where they're just like, I'm gonna do more and try to earn respect and earn love and earn impact and just, I wanna be more and hustle more. And if you're a hustler like me, striving will get you nowhere. Because the more effort you employ, the more resentful you become because the need of your heart is to be loved for who you are, not what you do. And when you try to earn love by action or what I call striving, even if you quote unquote get the kind of love you're looking for, it's bittersweet because you have to keep up the act. You have to keep up the hustle, and it's like I have to do more and perform more. And I see these 11 brothers hustling and working, trying to get their birthright, trying to get the approval, and then just Joseph strolling in the coat. Oh, and it makes them mad. It makes them so mad. But if you're chasing approval, looking for validation in all the wrong places, it's time to get back in touch with your identity, who God has called you to be. And we'll revisit that in a moment. Knowing who you are. So he goes out to check on them, and the brothers see him from a long way off, and they determine, let's kill him. Yo, you know it's bad if it reaches that point. This has been years, years of resentment. Here comes the dreamer. Let's kill him and throw him into one of these pits and say an animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. People will get so upset at the existence of your dream that they'd rather snuff it out than celebrate it. Don't surrender anyway. And to be clear, because that sounded like a really tweetable sentence, <laughs> I'm not saying that it's Joseph versus his brothers. It is belief versus unbelief. People are not the villains. It is people's actions that threaten you stepping into unbelief. And when you step into unbelief, you are stepping out of faith. That's the real battle. It's not you versus your crazy ex or you versus your family. No, it's your faith versus unbelief. That's the battle that's here. Can you still believe even when circumstances start to get darker? That's the real battle that Joseph has. Because over in Jacob's house when I'm wearing the cloak and everything's comfy and I get all of the approval, it's easy to say my dream is going to be one that takes me higher and higher. But what happens when you walk up to your brothers one day and they assault you, strip you of your clothes, and throw you into an empty pit? Now Joseph has to say, wait, what does the dream mean now? It's a really, really violent moment in Scripture. They throw him into this pit and it says, then they ate their meal. Can you imagine the callousness? 11 dudes are just having like campfire dinner while Joseph is bleeding, injured, and alone in the pit. Calling out, certainly for help. Calling out his brother's names and no one answering. And this is where I think we really need to spend some time today. Examining the pit not a fun part of the story. <laughs> Pastor Jeff got to take the first part of the series and it was like the glorious conclusion. <laughs> but today we're just in the pit. It's dark. It's lonely. Your external validation has been stripped of you. And all you have is the option to cry out to God. Who are you in the pit? 
Who am I when circumstances get difficult? Who am I when I'm pushed to my limit? Because who we are in the pit determines who we'll be everywhere else. You see, in suffering, in trial, in difficulty, we are pressed and pushed. And I saw Jude sit right here and say, why not cling to God in a moment like this? Why not? I understand it's not lost on me in a moment like that, like the band is playing and the lights are on and it's this really cheerful moment, but this person is navigating struggle and it's really easy for us to look at someone else's struggle and say, yeah, but that's good and you have no idea what my pit feels like. You have to take responsibility because God has promised a purpose for you, planted a dream within you, and it's your job to steward that, not anyone else's. You can't give up. You can't give up. And I know in the pit, that is the most tempting of options. Forget it, forget it. I'll never think about that again, I'll never talk about that again, I'm just, forget it. It's easier to just fit in. I'll go back to the old ways. Or even more tempting, the thought of just like, let me turn back. Forget God. Maybe he didn't even say that. But those lies just keep going. Those are the exact lies that turn you away from the faith, turn you away from God, make you want to turn away from your commitments, your marriage, your family. Eventually, it'll lead you to wanting to give up on your own life. Those lies just keep going, friend. And you have to recognize that they are assaults against the belief that God planted in you. Who are you in the pit? Who am I in suffering? See, if we weren't people of faith, the pit is probably where it ends. But God gave us faith. He gave us hope. He gave us a future. And we have to recognize, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. That even though there is present difficulty, on the other side of this, I can see that there is purpose. It's easy to clap about. It's harder to be about. Because in those moments, it's about having the kind of faith and vision to recognize your circumstance does not define you. For the natural mind, when you are in the pit, you've been buried. But for the spiritual person, when you are in the pit, you've been planted. And down there, in that pit, is where your roots will be formed. And it might not be today, and it might not be tomorrow, but something is going to break through in you because of how you held on in the pit. Oh, somebody didn't get that. You can either look at it as buried or planted. And when you're planted, you will grow. When you're buried, you decay. And the pit is either the place of your decay or your growth. Let it be your growth. Decide for it to be your growth. Because you can't control the timeline. You can't say, I'll, I'll grow later. Nope. You ain't getting out of this pit anytime soon. You might as well grow here. You might as well do what you can do and trust God with what only he can do. Psalm says, though I'm in the pit, the righteous will surround me. It doesn't say when I get out of the pit, the righteous will surround me. No, it means even in my most difficult moment, I'm looking for the people of God, the promises of God, the, the support of God's righteous hand in my life. In the pit, 
And I'm preaching to some people who perhaps have given up because their circumstance looks difficult. Living the dream looks different than dreaming the dream. Everyone's walked out. Everyone's abandoned you. Everyone's rejected you. You either look at it as buried or planted. Woo! And you can't bury a dreamer. You can't bury a dreamer because you just end up planting them. You just end up, you just end up making more opportunity for their own cultivation and refinement. The devil thought that he could end your story by adding difficulty to it. He didn't realize that no discipline seems pleasant at the time. And counting it all joy when you go through trials, it's just who we are. Throw more trials my way, I'm going to get more joyful. Throw more difficulty my way, I'm going to become more refined. And as a church in this season, I believe God is ministering to us that outside the realm of our comfort is the land of our growth. That in these difficult, trying circumstances, that's where we are refined. You can't bury a dreamer. You just plant them. And they're going to grow. And as dreamers, we must be committed to the God who gave the dream. Not just the dream itself, but the God who gave the dream. Because it's ultimately about his purpose. Our pastor's movie, Southern Gospel, comes out next month. I'm hyped. I'm hyped. It's the story that leads to our story. Guys, it's not lost on me. Like, like the byline of the movie is never surrender the dream. God planted this dream in his heart decades ago. What do you think it feels like to see your dream come true in a circumstance like this? Why do you think he's preaching about there always being beauty and brokenness in life? See, when we dream the dream, we think it will be a happily ever after. And we don't recognize that our dream is a promise God has given us to help us endure what it takes to get there. It's not a promise of comfort. It's a guarantee of difficulty. Because God wouldn't have to give you a dream if the path was easy. But he's showing you on the other side of this trial because you have to endure this trial. Don't give up never surrender and if there's nothing else you have to cling to you have to go back to who I am God has called me he's chosen me he says I'm loved and he told me that he was going to use me he told me that there was purpose and it can't end in this pit this is not how the story ends I'm talking about a kind of faith that pushes against every bit of hopelessness in you and that looks at your very existence as testimony to God's hand. Because if the dreamer is alive, the dream is alive. If the dreamer is alive, the dream is alive. Even though I'm in a pit, even though life is difficult, even though I've been abandoned, even though things are not going the way that I want, even though there's a diagnosis, even though there's a financial crisis, even though I don't know what I'm going to do next, if I have breath and I have life, It is proof that the dream is alive. That's the kind of faith that I'm talking about, church. The kind of faith that is not hinged on other people's acceptance of you. Who cares what they say and what they don't say? You have to know what God said. A vision for your family. A vision to say, no, this marriage is not going to fall apart because we don't happen to like each other today. 
I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to sit at this table and we're going to talk. And the next day it's going to happen. And kids, we're going to make this work. And we're going to pray and we're going to go to church and we're going to take steps to see the dream come alive. If you've given up on your own mental and emotional health, your physical health, and you just say, oh, well, it's over. No, it's never over. Is it difficult? Yes. But who you are in the pit determines who you are everywhere else. And I believe it is the refinement that Joseph experienced here that enables him to stand in the palace later. Spoiler alert, he gets a lot later. But he could never sustain it if he didn't refine himself in the pit. And in the pit, we either let the darkness of the circumstance permeate us, or we let the light within us permeate the darkness. Why are you in the pit? Sometimes people are dysfunctional. Sometimes life happens. Sometimes the unexpected occurs. But can God use it for his purpose and glory? Yes, he works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Maybe one thing he can do is take your moment of being in the pit and use it to illuminate a place that would have never had light at all. Maybe your broken circumstance is the exact setting that God wants to be glorified in, and it starts with you releasing that light. Think of our pastors sitting in a hospital room enduring a chemo treatment. It's not a great scenario. And anyone who's been in that space knows what does it feel like? It feels like sickness. It feels like heaviness. It feels like death until you release what is inside of you. And a pit that felt one way and was starting to change the climate of your soul can now start to feel differently because your soul is changing the climate of the pit. We have the ability to affect change in our circumstance. No, I might not be able to just claw my way out of this pit, but I can make sure this pit echoes with the praise of God. This pit is about to be a place of praise. I'm gonna sing and I'm gonna clap and I'm gonna dance and this is gonna be an altar. This pit is now an altar because I will worship even in this. Turn your pit into a place of praise. Let it be a garden in which what has been planted erupts. Because if it's not coming out in this, where do you expect it to come out? Ooh, I feel like we're almost there. We're right there. You, you, you have to absorb this because difficult, and if you're not in difficulty right now, Absorb this because you and I both know life takes its turns. But as people of faith, it is our response to suffering that glorifies Jesus. In fact, in the New Testament, you know, he said in the message, he said, I'm not going to show you how to run from suffering. I'm going to show you how to embrace it. Jesus, I want a Christianity that teaches me to run from suffering. <laughs> I want comfort, I want pleasure. And he says, no, I'm gonna teach you how to embrace it. Jesus, the man of sorrows, he modeled to us. He taught us how to do this, that even in suffering, we say, not my will, your will be done. It isn't about my dream, it's about the purpose behind the dream. If you called me to do something great, maybe I misunderstood that it would always feel comfortable, but I think greatness can exist here in the pit. Let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, your will be done. And a lot of times when we dream, we only dream the palace. But living the dream, even in the pit, looks different. Can you 
let faith infuse your view that even in this that dream is alive Woo! the rest of this isn't going to come from me it's not going to come from us it's going to come from you I believe you have been given everything you need today to take this and go reclaim your footing, your ground. And you stand, and when you've done all you know to do, you keep standing, and you keep standing, and you refuse to give in. And you praise, and you worship, and you glorify the name of God, and you cling to what you know is true. Because when no one else hears it, the dream is alive in you. If the dreamer's alive, the dream is alive. It hasn't ended, and the enemy wants you to feel like it's ended. Goodness, I, 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 I really want to like, you know, conclude this and go on to the rest of our day because I know it's a huge special day, but I just, I feel the Holy Spirit arresting this moment. There's something here. There's something here for you to actually believe. I believe that the reason that God intervenes in moments like this is because he loves his children. And when his children are about to give up, he refuses to stay quiet. I rebuke suicide in this room, in Jesus' name. If you have felt at your absolute limit, I'm calling it up and out of this place and out of your heart and life. This is not where the story ends. You are not buried, you are planted. You are so loved by God, so chosen by God. This is not the end of your marriage. This is not the end of your promise. Weeping may endure for this night, but joy will come in the morning and it's time for someone to believe. It's time for someone to believe to believe that breakthrough is coming for you, that Jude Smith will be healed, that your marriage will be healed, that your finances will be provided for. We either say it or we don't. You either are gonna participate in the story or not, and it's time for us to stop being quiet. And I'm gonna land it here. If you think the pit is the place where you should be quiet, <laughs> you got it wrong. The pit is silent until you make noise. There will never be any sound in there unless you make the noise, unless you start to say the promises of God. At the bottom of an empty pit, there's no hope until I release it, until I start proclaiming it, until I start clamoring about and letting everyone around that can hear that I still have hope. And I really believe that as you leave here today, there is gonna be a newfound hope and strength in your life because that dream is a tool to the purpose of God. Who am I in the pit? I'm planted. I'm in process. I'm definitely not staying here, but while I'm here, I'm being refined. You're not at your limit, friends. Hold on, hold fast, because there's more to the story. Can we pray together? Holy Spirit, have your way in this room today, God. First and foremost, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, he is our living hope. And today, you can call on his name. He is Savior and friend. 
you want me to pray with you saying, Pastor Justin, I need Jesus. Could you just lift your hand up if you're here in the room? Say, I need Jesus. If you're watching online, type, I need Jesus. Thank you, thank you. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. Could everyone repeat this prayer with me? Say, Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. I want to live for you from this day forward. From now on, it's Jesus first and Jesus always. I'm going to invite everyone in the room to stand with me for just a moment. Right after I pray here, Pastor Anthony is going to give you a little bit of info. We're going to worship. So I just really ask that you stay with us for this next two or three minutes. But I just want to pray. And I believe that supernaturally, I can see it in my spirit. God is imparting faith for those who have been depleted in it. Would you lift your hands as a sign of receiving? Because every good receiver needs his hands up. Father, would you impart faith? God, I sense that there are people in this room who are so deep in a pit that they felt like you couldn't see or hear them, but I believe you've derailed this service to just let them know how seen and heard they actually are. So Holy Spirit, rush through this room and give the gift of faith. Pour out hope in this place. That city of lifers will leave here today filled with hope that it, whether it's today or tomorrow, we will see your promises fulfilled. I rebuke suicide in the name of Jesus. I rebuke depression in the name of Jesus. I rebuke hopelessness in the name of Jesus. And and I thank you that even in the most difficult of circumstances, you are releasing faith in this congregation and in our online congregation that is going to impact our circumstances and the people around us. I pray for joy unspeakable, for peace unshakable, and that we would be living proof of your miracle working power. I pray it over this family in Jesus' name. Come on, if you believe it, say amen. I believe you're gonna walk out of here in faith today. It's not over. He won't fail. The story's not over. And God is doing a work. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.